Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Sound check? Okay. <clears throat> One way um, I think of what we're doing here for this month or uh, two months uh, is uh, embarking on the classic hero's journey. Perhaps you're familiar with that. Uh, Joseph Campbell uh, made it, uh, revived its, its um, understanding. Uh, he had a book, uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces, and there, was, there were a few TV shows on, on the hero's journey. Um, and it's the um, archetype of adventure and um, all mythology. There's a classic arc to the hero's journey, hero or heroine's journey, I should say. Um, and uh, I, I see us all as being on it, or we've been on it many for some time. <clears throat> and I wanted to mention a little bit about uh, our practice in that context, just seeing the the trajectory of um, of this arc, often, and um, and then talk about uh, the latter stages of that arc uh, coming into fullness. The the journey uh, sets off, um, the heroine or the hero sets off on a quest. And there's a, an initial impetus or invitation to leave one's, the comfort of one's home and one's, uh, one's usual life to um, set off on this uh, quest or adventure. Inspired or uh, compelled to um, uh, to realize their destiny, and you've all set off on a quest. Something has called you out of your normal, mm, typical life that uh, that most most of us live. Whether it's nine to five jobs or uh, just having a, a nice, uh, comfortable home and life. Um, something has called you that you haven't been able to ignore, thank goodness, that has pulled you out of the mainstream and um, you're setting on this quest, just like the Buddha set on that quest when he when he saw the heavenly messengers of old age, sickness, and death, and realized no matter how good he had it, he, he, he wasn't going to find real happiness until he found what that, hopefully that uh, fourth messenger, the ascetic renunciate, was looking for. Well, we've all set out on this quest. We've all 
been called to discover the truth within or without or to be free of suffering, whatever it was. And on this quest, as you go on this adventure, uh, you encounter hardship. That's part of the deal. That's both the good news and the bad news. The good news is, if you're finding that, well, you're right on schedule. The bad news is there's no getting around the fact that you're going to encounter hardship. Uh, But that's the good news ultimately too. And actually at times you, as the the hero or heroine uh, finds, they go down to the depths, to the deepest places of fear and terror and meeting their demons, meeting the monster, Um, and that's how they find the courage and the capacity to deal with those challenges. Often, by the way, in the, in the myths, um, they, um, are supported by a mentor or mentors or, or teachers as well. You know, think, um, Yoda to Luke Skywalker. And there, Luke is saying, I've got to be a Jedi, i got to, and, and Yoda says, just keep, don't be so impetuous, I've got to do it now. Okay, here's your lightsaber, go into that cave and face your deepest fears, see who comes out alive. And that's how he becomes a, a Jedi master. <clears throat> I hope you all saw The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> And as you face your deepest fears, as the heroine face or hero faces the monster, the demon, um, they uh, come to a new level of realization and mastery and strength and power from that new perspective that they understand. And then they return to share what they've seen, whether it's uh, Jesus or the Buddha or Katniss Everdeen, was that uh, Hunger Games? That that was a good one too. I just saw the first one, but it was good. Or Perseus or Luke Skywalker or you, This is the process that you're on, this process of awakening, going from confusion, wonderment, some inspiration to um, to the, the hardships and coming out wiser and deeper and more loving. And uh, just some things to understand about your journey, no matter what your life looks like or has looked like or what you've gone through from a a Buddha Dharma standpoint, you have developed uh, tremendous uh, forces of purification, what are called paramis, that come from um, 
there are forces of purity that classically is said come from purity of conduct that is somewhere in your in your long journey if you think of it over lifetimes and you can take this on whatever level you relate to there has been um uh generosity and integrity sila that has uh, enabled you to hear the dharma hear the teachings and purity of wisdom that not only have you heard the teachings but you have the opportunity to practice them and to fully um, realize what uh, the promise holds. So however messy your life looks like or has looked, don't overlook the fact that you've had incredibly good karma holding the whole show. Don't miss that. It's so easy to get into, oh, but this happened to me. Why did this happen to me? And that did, you know, most of us have that history that we sort out. But we can miss the fact that something very deep has been pulling us all along and that all of those challenges in our life are part of our curriculum of how we've been learning and what maybe compelled us to go on that journey in the first place. And so motivated by suffering um, is often the, uh, what, what compels us to go on this journey. Um, a, a, a teaching that I think uh, uh, will be shared later on in another talk, uh, transcendental dependent arising, where the Buddha says suffering leads to faith or at least leads to looking in the direction. It can lead to faith. How many people here have been motivated by their suffering to look for answers and find meaning in their life? Look around, that's how it works. And out of that faith comes, at least faith, I talked about faith the, 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 uh, the first talk, uh, there's a kind of inspiration, bright faith, and then it turns into uh, verified faith. And there's no getting around that you learn that through the challenges, as perhaps you're familiar with the, the story of, uh, I think it's a Nasruddin story, uh, somebody who's been uh, hearing about this wise man for so long, and he finally finds him, and he says, um, I've heard you're so, so wise and so happy. How did you uh, get that way? And he says, good judgment. And then he's asked, well, how did you get good judgment? And he's replied, experience. And how did you get so much experience? And he says, bad judgment. <laughs> So that's how we learn. How else can we learn? <clears throat> you know, that can be the quick way, but often it's the, it's the hardships that really um, wake us up. <clears throat> so then we 
somehow have courage to open up to our demons and to face our fears and really to see that what we are doing is um, learning to open up to the whole package here. Robert Bly, I don't think I mentioned this line. I, I love it. Robert Bly, the poet and the uh, teacher, he says, um, every part of ourselves that we, part of our personality that we do not learn to love will become hostile to us. So we need to learn to, if not love, at first accept and then embrace and finally love it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. <clears throat> While we're in the middle of it and we're lost in our fears, it can get so scary, it can seem, wait, this is just too much, this is overwhelming. But really, uh, fear is an ally. If you think of it in, in these terms, fear is, um, there's, there's different kinds of fear. There's a fear that's saying this is danger and you really need to pay attention to that and act on it. But often the fears are just th fears that we create for ourselves. And those kind of fears uh, are a different kind of ally than the one that says get out of the way. Those kind of fears are places where we're learning to stretch ourselves and not play it safe. If we want to grow, it means we need to get out of our comfort zone. And if we're going to get out of our comfort zone, by definition, it's going to be uncomfortable. So fear is really saying, it's, it's the, uh, I like to think of it as the, the, the scout, the membrane from the known, the familiar, to the unknown. And of course, when you're going from the known to the unknown, there's going to be some anxiety there. Whoa. So in that way, it's really showing you where you are, where you are going to stretch yourself. Jack Cornfield has a, a very succinct way of saying this. He says, fear is saying, about to grow. What a different way to hold our smallness. Oh, I don't have to let fear run my life. I just need to learn to relate to it and somehow see it as a pointer. See it as the, the, the places inside that, um, the places that scare you, as Pema Chodron says. Oh, the places that scare you. Oh, those are the places that we can grow. And as we keep on looking and see these as habits of mind, I hope you're starting to get just a glimpse every now and then. I'm sure you have. I mean, we've been talking about it most every day here. And there you are looking on your, uh, within yourself. And maybe from time to time, especially after you've come out of the rabbit hole or uh, out of the, the, the low places of confusion. Oh, wow, I was just lost. 
oh, look at that. It's good to remember that the next time. That's what slowly happens more and more. You keep on getting lost and there's nothing wasted if every time you realize, oh yeah, I went down the rabbit hole and here I am again. Oh, I just got confused. I just got lost. I was just, I told a few of you, I was sitting on uh, in interviews uh, that uh, last month, or now almost two months ago, I did a self-retreat uh, for a couple of weeks. And um, most of the time these days, I'm fairly present. Um, I don't get lost too much into really dark places these days. I know them very well. But, um, but on this retreat, it was interesting. I just see my mind all of a sudden realize that I've been gone for, for the last 30 seconds or a minute or so, or, you know. And I just wake up and I'd say, oh, mental fabrication. It was great. I'd never used that as a, as a label before. I, I highly recommend it. Oh, mental fabrication. It's like, oh, it just woke up. And that's what, little by little, I hope you're getting an understanding of. The mind just creates its own scary places. And it frightens us. But when we can name it and just seeing, oh, that's just fear. Or that's just tape 17 uh, paranoia or whatever it is. You know. Once you name your demons, just like in mythology, when the heroine or the hero found out the name of the monster or the demon, they lost their power. That's how it works. And that's what we're doing here when we name how we've gotten lost. And we name it not with judgment, but with clarity and compassion for the habit and just seeing, oh, sadness. Oh, that's loneliness. Oh, that's my old friend, um, lust. That's my old companion, um, uh, rage. I know that one. So the more you see it, the more you have an understanding of how empty it is and, and that it doesn't have the same power over you. This is uh, from uh, the mother uh, who with Sri Aurobindo, she was his, uh, his partner uh, in the great spiritual uh, community in Auroville, a very wise woman. She says, you carry in yourself all the obstacles necessary to make your realization perfect. If you discover a very dark hole, a thick shadow, you can be sure there is somewhere in you a great light. It is up to you to know how to use the one to realize the other. Or Helen Keller saying, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. All the world is full of suffering. It is also full of overcoming. But 
what can be a little bit disconcerting is you think, oh, okay, I think I got the idea, you know. Why do I keep on getting lost? Has that occurred to you? Wait, I've been through this movie before, like 20 times in the last week, you know. Why do I keep on getting lost? And or, oh, now I've really gotten lost. You know, the others were hard, but this is, I've really gone too far. And I can't believe, I've been practicing for 15 years. I can't believe I'm now as low as I've ever been. Have you had that thought? If you've been practicing 15 years? You know, it's one of the benefits of only being doing this for one or two years, you know. Uh, you can cut yourself a little slack. You know? <laughs> this is from uh, Ramdas in Be Here Now about this process of purification. He says, as you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. Understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion, it's just that you're seeing it more clearly. The lions guarding the gates get fiercer as you go towards each inner temple. But of course, the light gets brighter too. So that's it, you're just seeing it more. It's more humbling as you become more and more awake and aware, you can see those places of getting lost all the more clearly. This is where deep compassion comes in. You're in this process of purification. This is uh, a contemporary poem, first uh, turned uh, on to me by um, my dear friend and colleague, Howie Cohn. Dear God, so far today I've done okay. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, crabby, mean, nasty, selfish, bitchy, or overindulgent. And I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed and then I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. <laughs> you know, we can have all kinds of ideas and ideals of how we think we should be and okay, now I got it together and I know where happiness lies, but we can forget. So this process is little by little as I said, learning to love the whole package, particularly understanding these places of confusion are just habits of mind. And when you see them, each time you see them that way, and don't judge yourself for having them or for getting caught again, or can see that it's just a creation, a mental fabrication, as I said, there's a kind of freedom that sees, a perspective, oh, like the Buddha saying, oh, I see you, Mara. 
So every time you see it, instead of feeling discouraged that you got lost again, don't miss the fact that you're seeing it. As, uh, as Pema Chodron says, a line I love, she says, take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Take delight, appreciate that the awareness can see the dukkha. Don't miss the awareness that's seeing it. Don't get lost in the fact, oh, there's more dukkha again. Wow, I see it. That's where the freedom is. And in that, the more you see it from that perspective and don't take it personally, you are exploring the human experience. As I said, I think at the early on, this is your laboratory, this fathom long body. I mentioned that, didn't I here? Did I mention that line? No, the, this, this line, this, uh, the Buddha says, in this fathom long body, that's six feet, give or take foot and a half standard deviation or so. In this fathom long body, the whole of life is revealed Suffering, the cause of suffering, the end of suffering, the path leading to the end of suffering. The whole of the Dharma is revealed. This is your laboratory to understand the human condition, the human experience. And that means seeing it all as empty, seeing how empty it is and not taking ownership. Oh, look at my pathetic loneliness. Oh, it's just loneliness. That identification is called the conceit of I am. The Buddha talks of it. The conceit of I am. Mana. And it's there at least until the third stage of enlightenment out of four stages. So if you're not You still have judgment in the mind. You're just no higher than third stage. The conceit of I am, one who thinks oneself equal to others or superior or inferior for that very reason disputes. But one who is unmoved under these three conditions, for that person the notions equal, superior, inferior do not exist. For one who is free from ties, from views, there are no ties. But those who grasp after views and philosophical opinions and this this sense of separation, they wander about in the world annoying people. (laughs) And who do you think we most annoy? But as soon as you see through that conceit of I am, and you hear in, in that teaching of the Buddhas, even equal to is the conceit of I am because it's separating ourselves out. And when you see through that, you see through that, not me, not mine, I don't have to take ownership of these mind states or, uh, or emotions that, that have just visited me. Uh, then you have what is called the shining through of the divine. Then you're not so stuck in your own small world that you don't know how you're going to get out, then you see something beyond just me. And this is leading to this next piece. And I, uh, I, I want to 
share as a way to understand this process, the, the great teaching by Dogen, the great Zen master, who uh, says, um, to study Buddhism, this is the, I'll give you the whole pithy teaching and then we'll unpack it. To study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. So what does that mean? To study Buddhism is to study the self. To practice the Dharma is to study this mind-body process. This is our laboratory. To study the self, this mind-body, and see how things work. To study it, you see through it. You see through that smallness and see some universal principles of being human. To study the self is to forget the self. Then you don't have to be preoccupied with hoping that you're okay and that everybody will validate, yeah, you really are okay. Oh, I can let go of that. I can forget that. And then just see who's out there. <laughs> to forget the self, because to forget the self and to not be so self preoccupied or feeling I have to fix myself is to be intimate with all things. There's no separation then. And so you go beyond the personal as you see clearly into that non-separation, all connected. And you have uh, a profound shift of perspective. And I know, um, you know many, many have had that profound shift of perspective, at least glimpses of it. Don't need to, need to put out a diploma with the big E on it um, of enlightenment. But when you get glimpses and see, oh, look, oh, I see something beyond just me. Oh, maybe I'm not so unique or special with my fear or pain or, um, or sadness or anger or whatever it is. You see it and then you keep on learning more and more to embody it. And there's a, another teaching from another great Zen master Shanul, uh, who talks of sudden awakening and gradual cultivation, where you see something in a new way, in a fresh way, and then over time, more and more, it becomes an embodied understanding. Not just, oh wow, I saw that on my retreat uh, two years ago, and you know. Maybe I'll come back to it. You know, maybe I'll get it again. No, it's here. It's in there. And you just need to keep on nourishing that understanding. I love a, um, a description of the process that Joseph uh, used to give. I don't know if he talks about it anymore, but I, I use it. Um, very simple way to understand the deepening of our practice and our process. And... Uh, uh, the metaphor or the simile is this um, um, uh, hill, steep hill with a, a ball that 
you're trying to stay on the center. And it's very easy for that ball to slip off center. That's like the beginning of practice where you might be here for a few moments, but you get caught a lot. As you keep on practicing and and deepening your practice, that hill can become like a flat, flat ground. You put it on the center and it stays there. It takes a gust of wind to blow it off. You know, it's easier to come back, but it still can be blown off with a little gust. As you deepen your practice, the hill becomes a valley and that ball naturally is in the center. It might get blown off, but this is where it comes back to. Get the idea? That's what we're doing. We're deepening our understanding so we more and more embody what we know, what we might conceptually know or what we've been profoundly touched by in moments. We're just deepening, deepening, deepening that understanding. Um, and this is where we're doing. This is where we. Uh, I want to share about what happens when you're beyond, uh, not beyond, when your your practice isn't so much focused on um, working through the the karmic knots in the history. And I want to just say, as I'm saying this, everywhere, everyone is right where they should be. So not to feel, oh, I'm behind the game. Uh-oh, I've, they, uh, we're, I'm now in the back of the class. This process takes as long as it takes, and as long as you're facing in the right direction, that's all you need to be concerned about. You know, I, for, for years I did retreats and I, uh, just to kind of come to terms with that place of smallness inside of me and that place of, of really um, major um, self-judgment and insecurities. And so there's no hurrying up that process. But just know that this is the direction that you're heading And so when you've somehow more embodied that shift and seeing, oh, it's just, it's just the mind and I don't have to believe it, then you can really, um, then practice becomes fun because we're not, or it's not always fun. Check that, just to backtrack. <laughs> Often it can be fun. It can be an adventure. It can be kind of really exciting I remember going into, uh, uh, into an interview with Joseph um, after uh, it was my second retreat or my third, retre- my third three-month retreat, right? I think it was that, something like that. I'd been sitting for, for quite a while. And I went in to, um, uh, that was my second three-month retreat. And I, I went into an interview one, one day and I said, I don't know what I've been doing for the last five years with all these retreats, but this is a whole new ball game. And he looked at me and said, oh yeah, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. 
And then I said, really? And then he, he looked at, he leaned over. I can see it right now in my mind's eye. He looked over at me and he said, and you know what? We're at the tip of the iceberg. We're at the tip of the iceberg. And he said it with the sparkle in his eyes, not like, oh, and there's a whole lot more you got to go. It's like, it keeps on becoming this adventure of discovery as life reveals itself. So I want to talk a little bit about that part of the process. And I want to want to share with you um, a passage that uh, I love from a, a, a wonderful book that was a classic in the 70s um, called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Anybody know that book? Yeah, it's a great book. Thin. <clears throat> and really good. And this, uh, Thaddeus Golis, is, uh, the author. He says, the basic function of each being is expanding and contracting. Expanded beings are permeative. Contracted beings are dense and impermeative. We experience expansion as awareness, comprehension, understanding, or whatever we wish to call it. When we're completely expanded, we have a feeling of total awareness of being one with all life. <clears throat> When a being is totally contracted, he or she is a mass particle, completely imploded. To the degree that they are contracted, they are unable to be in the same space with others. So contraction is felt as fear, pain, unconsciousness, ignorance, hatred, evil, and a whole host of strange feelings. At an extreme, they have the feeling of being completely insane of resisting everyone and everything, of being unable to choose the content of their consciousness. Of course, these are just the feelings appropriate to mass vibration le levels, and they can get out of them at any time by expanding, by letting go of all resistance to what they think, see, or feel. And that's one way to think of what we're doing here. We are expanding our understanding our consciousness, our perspective, from me to it all. And the Buddha talked about this in terms of wholesome and unwholesome states. He said the same thing. Unwholesome states, akusala, greed, hatred, delusion, fear, jealousy, all of those are tight states of contraction. Wholesome states, akusala, Love, compassion, generosity, equanimity are states of expansion. And mindfulness has the unique property to weaken the unwholesome states and strengthen the wholesome states. So you might have sensed this feeling of, of more space and expansion than your typical life. And I, I talked about that before when I invited you to see yourself as a, as a verb instead of a noun, instead of a, a thick implode, uh, mass of some body, something, that you are a fluid field of activity. 
or you are an ecosystem, as I shared that piece. Mm. And to really see, not only are you not your history or your, uh, your personality, of course that's part of you, but that's not the whole show. That there is a consciousness that is knowing itself. And uh, let's see here. I want to share with you a, a passage I, I love. This is from um, my dear friend, fortunate to call him a friend, uh, Anam Tuptin Rinpoche. We just taught a, a retreat here um, a month or so ago. And this is from his book, The Magic of Awareness. He says, you are consciousness and so am I. Consciousness is said to be groundless because it has no size, color, shape, or location. Some people think that consciousness is living in us. However, such a view is very limited in scope since this consciousness is all-pervading we live in it. We are it. It enjoys eternal play. Now and then, consciousness forgets its play. It, now and then, consciousness forgets that its play is its own manifestation and gets lost in believing that it is separate from itself. Are you following me? Do that. We live in it. We are it. It enjoys eternal play. Now and then, consciousness forgets that its play is its own manifestation and gets lost in believing that it is separate from itself. That forgetfulness is the fundamental delusion that gives birth to all troubles, problems, and struggles in unending chain reactions. Since consciousness itself is not separate from enlightenment, consciousness being aware of itself can happen suddenly and break the chain created by our forgetfulness. This is the, uh, a, a Tibetan view or perspective or Mahayana view, but also within uh, within uh, Thai forest tradition, you know, consciousness is just knowing itself through us. I think I said, you know, we are a star's way of knowing itself. We all came from the great singularity, and here we are thinking that we're separate from everything else, but how could that be? Yeah, on one level, we're separate. I pinch me and you don't feel it. And I have my own history and my own patterns and my own preferences. But on another level, that's just one perspective. A deeper level, we are not separate at all. And that's where understanding the awareness that is knowing your experience is, um, 
is something that we can always uh, connect with and remember that we're not separate. Mm-hmm. As um, a little exercise to just uh, um, brighten you up and also uh, uh, just demonstrate this, how often we can miss our uh, this perspective. Just uh, open your hand and take a look in front of you right now. And if you've just, well, I'll just won't say anything. Just take a look and see what you see. Look really, look carefully. What do you see? Okay, I'll take a few comments, especially if you've never done this with me before. Um, what do you see? Anyone? You can raise your hand. Veins. What is it? Veins. Veins, yes. What else? Pink. Huh? Pink. Pink? Pink? Okay, pink. What else? I'm not looking for any, you know, anything in particular. What is it? Skin. Skin, yes. What else? Lines, yeah. Anything else? Four fingers. Four fingers. And a thumb. And a thumb. That's good. <laughs> okay. Lots of different possibilities. Here's one thing that's right there that we usually miss. There is space all around. And one way to think of it is, oh, I'm seeing space with a hand in it. But we usually miss the space because we're so focused on the objects within that space. And this is something uh, that I want to just offer to you as another aspect, and we'll do a bit tomorrow in the... uh, in the morning uh, instructions of noticing instead of focusing on the things that are rising within consciousness, we can notice the consciousness, the awareness itself that's always been there. If you're looking up at this form and your eyes are functioning Can you not see me? Can you turn that off? Can you not hear these words if your ears are functioning? You can't turn it off. Can you take credit and ownership? That's my awareness working. It's just happening through you. It's just an aspect of who you are, of what what manifests through you. And when we can understand that perspective, there's a freedom in playing the game of being you. But we so easily miss it. As Einstein talks about, I mentioned it here, we live in an optical delusion of consciousness. This is from Flight of the Garuda, a great Tibetan text. Emaho, which means How amazing, how marvelous, he starts off. Listen carefully. This is really Tibetan, you can feel. Listen carefully, fortunate children of my heart. 
In both samsara and nirvana, the renowned enlightened state is widely heard like thunder throughout the sky. As this enlightened state always remains within minds of all beings, how amazing that one is never separate from it for even an instant. Not knowing that the state is within oneself, how amazing that one searches for it elsewhere. Although it is clearly manifest like the radiant disk of the sun, how amazing that so few see it. No matter how much happiness and sorrow that is experienced, how amazing that it is neither impaired nor improved, even in the slightest. How amazing that without this fabricated, without being fabricated, this mind which is unborn and primordially pure is spontaneously present from the very beginning. This self-awareness is naturally free from the very first. How amazing that it is liberated by just resting at ease in whatever happens. How amazing. It's right here for us. This awareness that's knowing experience. And you can't really say, my pure awareness is better than your pure awareness. It doesn't make any sense. It's just awareness shining through. And what shines through you is just as pure and, and, and free as what shine, shone through the Buddha. We just miss it. Those who cling to the aggregates, aggregates are worldly beings. Those who don't are free. This is another uh, Tibetan master, Nyosho Kempo. Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself, is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. So how to remember or see this perspective? <clears throat> First, what we're doing here is, um, is pointing to this perspective. Mindfulness, as the Buddha said, is the most direct way to see through the identification with experience. Itself creates a spaciousness. It was a, 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 a Tibetan teacher many years ago who came, uh, came to Monday night, the big event uh, at, here at Spirit Rock, and uh, 
the room was packed. Uh, I, I heard about this afterwards and then I listened to the talk. Um, and he, he said during his talk, he said, I can sum up all of Dharma practice in two words. Everybody got really interested. Two words, okay, let's hear it. And then he said, be spacious. Because when there's that spaciousness created, you're not imploded, like Thaddeus Golis says, and you see clearly that bigger picture. Oh, it's just awareness, awareness awareing, as I like to say. It's just awareness awareing, not me doing this job. Um, so mindfulness itself helps you see clearly without taking personally, without identifying with your thoughts and emotions or body. And it cultivates those seven factors of enlightenment that Adrian spoke of uh, a few nights ago. And it amplifies the wholesome states and creates that spaciousness. And it is creating the ground for us to see through this sense of separation. This is what the Buddha was pointing to. This is where the real freedom comes from in seeing through that, that conceit of I am, that I, me, or mine. And as we more and more can see through that and see the bigger picture, honoring who we are, but seeing the bigger picture, there can be a lightness in, in playing the game. Let me see if I can, oh yeah. This is from, uh, I don't, did I uh, share the uh, Martha Graham quote here? No, yeah, this is uh, Martha Graham to uh, Agnes DeMille. She says, uh, you, many, this is a, many people are probably familiar with this, but it, it's so fitting. There is, uh, the great choreographer, one, one great legend to another. There is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. The world will not have it. It's not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares to other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly and to keep the channel open. So life is expressing itself uniquely through you. And you want to honor that, but realize you're just an instrument in this game. Let yourself be played. Let yourself play at being played. So when you uh, truly get that more and more and embody it, understand it, then there's a kind of um, shining through of the divine, as Sumedho says, and all of your beautiful qualities become gifts to everyone around. And you 
become an agent of consciousness that helps awaken that in others. Because in the end, it's just consciousness waking itself up, love finding itself, just awakening itself through these different forms. So that's the, the fullness where you go back, where the hero goes back into the world, or as the um, ox herding pictures uh, talk of, the 10 ox herding pictures after that journey is complete, uh, one returns to the marketplace with gift bestowing hands. This is what we're doing here. And as long as we are facing in the right direction and bring a sincerity to our practice, don't worry about being behind or a race. You just keep on showing up and life will keep on supporting you in that because sincerity is the key to the whole trip. So I'll end with Nisargadot talking of sincerity. Your sincerity will guide you. Devotion to the goal of freedom will make you abandon all theories and systems and live by wisdom, intelligence, and active love. Theories may be good as starting points, but eventually must be abandoned. The sooner the better, he says. Whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of mind, you come back to earnestness, sincerity, honesty. When you are this earnest, you bend every incident, every second of your life to your purpose. You do not waste time and energy on other things. You are totally dedicated. Call it will, honesty, or love. You have what it takes to make this journey. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. So trust in that. Relax in that. Show up as much as you can with a wholeheartedness and a lightness and a spaciousness. But just know that's where you're heading. So let's sit for a few moments. Mm. 